Welcome to the OA Virtual Kitchen Sink Meeting Podcast. Visit the Los Angeles Intergroup at oalaig.org for information on how to join our meeting live and how to donate to support this meeting and our podcasts. The opinions expressed on the Kitchen Sink Podcast are those of the individual speakers and do not represent OA as a whole. And now, our speaker. Now it is time for the leader, myself, to qualify. I'm Marky, compulsive over and under eater and body obsessor. And I'm just so excited to be here. It, it really is a privilege to be on this meeting. I have never been to this meeting before. Um, I have to say, first of all, that I live in San Jose, California, and that LA meetings during COVID and even now have really saved my behind, you might say, from really, you know, a dangerous period in my life where I was going through one of the worst periods in my life. And um, it actually occurred to me during this period of my life where I was taking care of my partner of 22 years who had cancer and it entered my mind oh gee, you know, a binge might be a good idea. And just from that thought, I knew that I had to start going to meetings every day. That thought was what we call a prelapse thought, not quite a relapse thought, but a thought that could start a relapse. So I am forever grateful to people in Los Angeles and really people from all over the world who attend these meetings. I am forever grateful for having you help me maintain my abstinence. Of 33 years, I celebrated my abstinence date of 33 years on August 1st, uh, starting in 1989. So let me tell you what my compulsive eating was like, what happened, and what it's like today. I think I was a compulsive overeater ever since childhood because I remember um, when my mother used to take away the food after everyone else was eating dinner, for example, and I would be so angry, even at like age four, to have my food taken away from me because I wanted more food. I remember going to my grandmother's house and she would serve salty, crunchy things and creamy things for snacks. And I remember being like enraged at age four or even age three when she would take away the food after my snack. I just wanted more food. And as I grew up, one of my um, chores at home was to do the dishes. And I remember after dinner that I ate every single bite or even drop or crumb of food that was in the pots or the pans or the things that we cooked in. I ate every scrap of food from other people's plates I don't know if I was a binge eater then. But I do remember 
um, that I always wanted more food. And I had an unhealthy attachment to food. I just had such a craving for more food than anyone else in my family seemed to have. Um, you know, Scott, till when I was age 14, that I had my first binge. And my first binge was the day after I told my mom that I was gay. I knew at age 14, I was gay, it was apparent to me. And I told her, and I faced a lot of rejection and she was very upset with me. And I remember the next day I hit the pantry, I hit the cupboards, I hit the refrigerator and every salty, crunchy or creamy or sweet thing I could find, I just started stuffing into my mouth. And it turned into just binging every afternoon <clears throat> when I got home from school. I would eat a whole bag of stuff. I would eat a whole jar of stuff. I would eat a whole package of stuff. And I don't even know how I had that much room to eat all that stuff, but I did. And I ate in front of the TV. And you know what? A lot of us say that we ate in isolation or that we ate secretly. And I didn't care who was watching me. I just ate. I did not care who was watching me. And as I got older, I actually had friends and lovers and partners say to me, are you going to eat that whole bag of stuff? Or are you going to continue eating that whole package of stuff and I would get so angry you know I would say to them leave me alone I did not eat in isolation I had to eat I had such an urge to eat that I would eat in front of you I didn't care what anyone thought about my eating I thought I had a right to binge so my binge eating continued into adulthood. And all I could say is that I had a huge hole in me. I had a huge hole in me that I thought food would fill. And every day and night, I just kept binging until some nights I would like fall asleep in like what I would call a food coma. I would just fall asleep in a coma from mostly carbohydrates. And I would get up in the middle of the night and I would go to the nearest Safeway grocery store which was less than a mile from my house. And in the grocery store, I would buy my binge foods in the middle of the night. And I couldn't even wait to get back home. I would have to binge in the parking lot in the middle of the night at this all night Safeway, gro Safeway grocery store. 
Why did I shop in the middle of the night? Well, let me tell you. When I reached my bottom, meaning my my worst, worst phase of my compulsive eating and my crazy mental state, when I reached my bottom, my worst time, I was actually at about 180 pounds. And in my mind, I had such a distorted body image, such severe, what we call body dysmorphia, um, such severe body weight obsession that I felt like at 180 pounds, I was so heavy that I had no right to be in public, that I was so ashamed of my body that I felt like I didn't want anyone to see my body. I was mortified and hated myself. And at that time, I used to look in the mirror and swear the worst obscenities against myself. So it wasn't just the body weight obsession. It wasn't just the body dysmorphia. It was self-hate of who I was as well as how I looked. So I didn't want to go out of the house except to go to work to get the money to buy food to buy food and to binge on the food. So my life was all about food, getting the money to buy food, eating the food, I mean, shopping for the food and eating the food. So I felt I had no right to be in public except in the middle of the night when no one else would be shopping, when I could buy my binge foods and I did. During that period, I can honestly tell you that I had a case, I guess because of the body shame, of agoraphobia. I was afraid to leave my house. I didn't want to go anywhere with anybody. I was afraid to leave my house and I did start isolating. I didn't want to see anybody. And somehow, some way I came to this point of such a low point of self-hate and body shame that I just fell to my knees one night and I just started praying God please help me with my weight I didn't even know what God was but I just was praying, please help me with my weight. Of course, I didn't want help with food. I didn't want help with eating. I just wanted to eat all I wanted and still be an acceptable body weight. I wanted to be thin. But a few weeks into these prayers, I remembered that I had seen a little pamphlet that said Overeaters Anonymous on it. I had seen that pamphlet at work 
And it just entered my mind, oh, maybe that's what I am, an overeater. And maybe I have a disease like in Alcoholics Anonymous. But you know what? I had tried so many diets before that point. And I wasn't able to stay on a diet for more than like breakfast of the first day of the diet. And then I would be eating. I even tried this like support group, this like self-improvement group called Breaking Free for Compulsive Eating. And in this group, we used to write down um, when we were physically hungry and when, when we were emotionally hungry. So I thought that that would really cure me. I thought that self-knowledge about being emotionally hungry and physically hungry and rating myself before I ate anything would help me. Part of this group, they said, was to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full. This was before OA. Eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full, rate your emotional hunger, rate your physical hunger. You know what? I was always hungry and I was never full. Always hungry and never full. And even the self-awareness of the emotional hunger and the physical hunger did me no good. And in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which for newcomers, um, OA uses both AA, Alcoholics Anonymous Literature, and OA, Overeaters Anonymous Literature, in what we call the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it says self-knowledge availed us nothing. And in that case, self-knowledge availed me nothing. But when I finally got on my knees and I finally realized that there was the thing called Overeaters Anonymous, I showed up at my first, okay, I showed up at my first meeting crying in the back of the room because I wanted no one to see me. And when I left that meeting, I took a little business card home from the meeting. On one side, it said over OA. On the other side of the business card, it was written the serenity prayer. And I thought to myself, maybe I should say that prayer. And I got home and I made one plate of food and I said that prayer and I had that one plate of food and I didn't binge that night and I haven't had to binge for 33 years. That little simple prayer got me to stop binging. And you know, that was a huge gift to stop binging. I was struck abstinent for whatever reason on that first night that I went to Overeaters Anonymous. And since then, I got a sponsor immediately. 
I got a food sponsor, started reporting my food to her. I got a step sponsor, started doing the steps. And guess what? I got all the way up to step nine. And step nine says made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. So about nine months into the program, I got to step nine. And I was still 180 pounds. I had not lost a single pound. And I said to my step sponsor, I don't know why I have not lost a single pound. I've been eating three meals a day, nothing in between. I have not binged for nine months. Why have I not lost a single pound? And my food sponsor too said, I don't know why you haven't lost a single pound. My step sponsor said to me, you need to make direct amends to yourself for the harm that you have done yourself with your self-hate and your body hatred and your binging. And I had no idea what she meant. But one day I just disrobed in front of a mirror and I actually looked at my body at 180 pounds. And I took a look in the mirror and I thought to myself, I have a higher power, most importantly. I have a fellowship. I have the steps. I have what are called the tools of the program. And for the first time in my life that I ever remembered I could look in the mirror and actually say, I like myself. I like myself. And if I have to weigh 180 pounds for the rest of my life, I can be happy. And it was then that 40 pounds just dropped off my body, just like that. This is called a spiritual emotional and physical illness. Those are called the four legs of my disease. And I had the spiritual recovery first. I had a relationship with my higher power. I had the emotional recovery next. I had my good loving fellows of this program. I had you guys. And then I had the physical recovery that weight loss just happened for me. Excuse me, that's one minute left, honey. And now I live a life free of binging. Thank God. I live a life that is happy, joyous, free, and useful. Thank God. And I'm living a life now after the death of my partner of 22 years with a new partner that my higher power just dropped into my life that I am deeply in love with. And thank God for all of you. Thank God for all of you. And for that, I will pass. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. 
If you have asked a question last week, please wait until the first three questions have been asked before raising your hand. If you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon and I will call on you. Please go ahead, Melissa. Hi, Marky. Thank you so much for your gorgeous share. Can you share with us what your daily spiritual routine looks like? Thank you. Yes. I wake up every morning and I have to admit that I'm a compulsive overeater. That's step one. I then have to connect with my higher power. And for me, that's step two. I realize in step one, the principle of honesty. You know, no matter how many years of abstinence I have, I have to admit that I'm a compulsive overeater. I wake up that way every morning. Um, I also have to do step three. I have to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. When I say God, I mean God, goddess, it, he, she, it, the universe. Um, you know, sometimes uh, this is getting off the question just a little bit, but I remember when I first had to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him, I was so scared. I thought that meant, you know, like fling open my will, just turn it all over, surrender completely. And that really scared me. But I realized from a book called the AA 12 and 12, that all I had to do was crack open that door a little bit for step three and the rest would be done for me. And sometimes every morning, all I have to do is open that door a little crack and the rest will be done for me. So the next thing I do in the morning is read spiritual literature that includes OA literature, either the big book on page 85 and 86, which tell me exactly what to do with my day, to give my plan for my day over to the care of a higher power. And then guess what? After I give over my plan for the day, I get to, as the big book says, I get to relax and take it easy. I get to not struggle. I get to relax and take it easy. Um, sometimes I meditate in the morning. Sometimes I meditate in the afternoon. When I meditate, it's not necessarily like I'm trying to reach a higher plane or whatever. The 11th step, which says sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry that out. So when I meditate, it's to get closer to my higher power and to ask my higher power for the power to carry out his or her will for me. So um, the final thing I do is my action plan. And my action plan 
is one of the newest tools of OA that I'm so happy for. My action plan includes my food plan and includes exercise um, and often includes calling my fellows. I don't call my sponsor every day. I call her about twice a week. I talk to my sponsees once or twice a week. Um, so that's it. Praying, meditating, reading, writing three things I'm grateful for in the morning. And before I go to sleep, I send um, everything I've eaten, which I weigh and measure according to calories. I'm not saying that anyone has to do calories for their weight plan. It's just what works for me right now. I send uh, an email to my food sponsor of what I ate during the day and the calories that I eat during the day. And I send her 10 things I'm grateful for. And that's my day. And I'm just so grateful for this program, for giving me the kind of day that can be a happy day for me. That can be a day of serenity for me. And when I'm having a tough day, I always have you guys. I always have you guys. And you always deliver me back to sanity. So that's what I do during the day. Thanks for your question, Melissa. Go ahead, please, Debbie. Deb, I'm sorry. It's all good. My mom calls me Debbie. So thanks, Marky. Um, thank you so much for your share and um, all of your encouraging words. I'm just curious about, you know, your body dysmorphia and if it ever comes up for you and at times and how do you get through those thoughts of the dysmorphic thinking? Thanks. Sure. Sure. You know, I never knew what my goal weight should be. My body was so, my body dysmorphia was so great that I never knew like what it was supposed to be. And I really just wanted to be thin. And um, even right now, after 33 years of um, the blessing of abstinence from binging, I don't even know what my body weight should be. Um, I actually have to look at the definition from the American Medical Association of what an average size body is considered, medically speaking. And I'm not even sure they're right. It's just where I look. I only weigh myself like once every three years because the number on the scale is so disturbing to me. Whether it's a small number, smaller than I think I should be, or a big number, bigger than I think I should be. But right now I know I'm at the kind of higher end of average of the BMI, what the American Medical Association says is an average size body. And now I can just robe and look in the mirror and I see little pooches and pouches here and there and little bumps and ridges here and there. 
but I can actually look at my body today and I love my body. It may be a little too big. Maybe sometimes I look in the mirror and to myself, I might even look emaciated or I might look even fat to myself, but I love myself and I love my body. And I can just feel satisfied with whatever my body is. And sometimes I don't even know what I weigh, but I still fit into the same genes as I fit in 20 years ago. So my weight must have not, you know, gotten too high. But I do want to say something. Uh, Let's see how long ago was it. In September, I had an incident with my heart, a heart attack, basically. And now I have to weigh myself. I went from weighing myself every three years. Now I have to weigh myself every single day. The nightmare of the compulsive overeater inside myself. I weigh myself every single day. And I've had to detach, detach with love from that number on the scale because I have to write it down every day and tell my cardiac nurse what my weight is every day. So to answer that question, in a way, the body dysmorphia of that day when I looked in the mirror and said, if I need to weigh 180 pounds for the rest of my life, I could be happy. That hatred, it's gone. It's gone by the grace of God. Thanks for your question, Deb. Go ahead, please, Patricia. Hi, Marky. Thank you for your share. Um, You mentioned making amends to yourself 33 years ago, and I was wondering if there are other things you do through thoughts and deeds today to, to love yourself or to make amends. Absolutely. You know, one of the things... This is a really new question for me, something I haven't really thought about that much. Um, You know, in the 12th step, it says we practice these principles in all our affairs. So the principles, if I remember them and I don't remember them all, some of the principles of all the steps, starting with step one, is honesty, hope, faith, courage, integrity, self-discipline, humility, uh, forgiveness of self, forgiveness of others, love of others, spiritual awareness, and service. When I practice those principles in all my affairs, it means I know this might sound like an outside issue, but it it means that I have work that I love. I love the work that I do. I feel that my work is contributing to society. I feel like I'm being helpful. It means that I also keep praying for removal of my character defects. The first and most important character defect 
that my sponsor told me about when I was very first working the steps, when I very first read the fifth step to her, admitted to God, to myself and to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. The first thing I did that started making amends to myself was to get on my knees and pray for removal of that self-hate. And over the years, it has been removed. First, it was about liking myself, and now it's really about loving myself. Um, another way I make amends to myself is to continue to practice the seventh step. Um, humbly asked him to remove my shortcomings in the seventh step for the past, like, four years, I've been uh, asking for removal of arrogance, self-pity, and impatience. And slowly those things are getting removed. Um, it means that I have friendships where there's an equality of giving and getting. It's not just all about me getting. It means that I do a 10th step at night where in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the things that it has me look at is whether I contributed to the stream of life today. And I ask myself, did I contribute to the stream of life today? And mostly the answer is yes. But if I didn't, I get to try again tomorrow. It means that if I'm not perfect, which I am not, if I do even unkind things, maybe not on purpose, but just because of not, not thinking clearly or just my own character defects, it means that I can forgive myself and start over the next day. Um, it means that I continue to deepen my relationship with my higher power. And when I say deepen, one of the things that has happened to me that increases my self-love, that increases my love of my higher power and of other people is that in meditation now, I've gotten to this point where it turns out that my higher power is like this beautiful ocean of love. And that that love is like a oneness of the entire universe of other people and of all living things that I'm a part of. So to give myself that time in meditation. Excuse me, one minute to, left. I'm sorry to interrupt. Is to dip in to a power that's so great that it encompasses all the universe. And it is so loving that it is a loving power in all the universe and inside of me. And that's what. I do to love myself today. Thanks for your question, Patricia. I don't know if I have any more time. 
Melissa. 30 seconds left, my friend. Quickly, Beth, you want to go ahead? Thanks. Can you remind, thank you so much. All things I could say, I won't. <laughs> uh, but I really appreciated your share. And could you remind us what the prayer was that you, that enabled you to get that first um, day of abstinence that you used before every meal? Yes, it's the serenity prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. And I don't say it before every meal now, but I will tell you that I say it before many of my meals. And uh, it's a magical prayer. Thank you. Very powerful share, Marky. Thank you.